Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Deconstructive Criticism. I am Aaron Flam. IDF spokesperson Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus joins us to talk about what is happening in Israel. The apologists, the relativists and the whataboutists are already out in full force. Hamas war crimes have been celebrated in more places than the Middle East and the Muslim world. On the streets of western capitals and towns, people have congregated to show their support for Hamas. It is not only in Swedish cities and towns that celebrations have taken place. In London, Berlin, Amsterdam, Barcelona, New York and so on, sympathizers have been chanting what they always chant, variations on calls for eradication of the Jewish state of Israel. While Israel is still counting its dead, Outside the opera house in Sydney, a crowd chanted, gas all the Jews. Not Israelis, Jews, all of them. It is despicable, but no surprise. This is what the left in the free world has always supported, and in all but lip service, still do. Sweden, as I've stated before, has given most per capita to the Palestinian cause in the world. Margot Wallström, the moral vortex that was previously Sweden's Minister of Foreign Affairs and part of the first and only Western government that has acknowledged the contested areas in Israel as a Palestinian state, gives an interview in Swedish daily Svenska Dagbladet that shows a level of intellectual ineptitude that should disqualify her from any future jobs, regardless of level of complexity, as was always the case with her. In the interview, she blames Israel for sabotaging peace initiatives and maintains that acknowledging Palestinian statehood was the right thing to do at the time, but, and I quote, that there has always been a very weak leadership and a lack of will to reform and cooperate. It was incredibly frustrating the whole time, end quote. And here she's talking about uh, the PLO and Hamas seemingly completely oblivious to the fact that the Palestinians were uncooperative because they weren't interested in her vision of a two-state solution. It never occurs to her that she has been duped or that her Arab friend's calls for the murder of Jews is anything but dark humor. This is what it looks like when the enemies of the Jewish people get to do what they are always saying they want to do. The murder of civilians, the rapes, the tortures, the burnings, the murder of infants, it is all permissible according to Hamas rules of engagement. What some politicians, journalists and intellectuals call Palestinian right to self-defense. The European left, and the Swedish left more than anyone, not least because of Sweden's long-standing tradition of neutrality, has always claimed that they don't take sides. Neutrality in the face of evil is always an, at least implicit, support for evil. 
So it was when the Swedish Social Democrats worked with Hitler in the lead-up to and during almost all of the Second World War. It was true during the Cold War when their supposed non-aligned movement always aligned with the Soviet Union in the UN, as it is today since the European left with Sweden's Olof Palme at the helm when they cavort with religious fanatics. Hamas are genocidal barbarians who, in an unbroken line, are heirs to the Nazis. Quite literally, the Palestinian movement was started by Hitler's own Mufti, Haj Amin al-Husseini, a part of the elite in the Muslim Brotherhood, who went on from his desk job in Berlin during the war to leading the Palestinian Arabs, because back then we still acknowledged this conflict as a larger Arab-Israeli conflict in pogroms against Jews in Israel. His movement then got funded by the Soviet Union during the Cold War until today's ISIS-like caliphate in Gaza where Hamas rules after winning the only election they ever had. The reason Abbas isn't holding elections in Judea and Samaria is because he knows that Hamas would win if he did. Israel are not the ones holding the Palestinians prisoners. Hamas are holding their own people hostage as well as untold number of Israelis. The Palestinians in Judea and Samaria are being held hostage by the Holocaust denier Mahmoud Abbas for Western aid money. They are being held in camps in Lebanon, Syria and Jordan too, as pawns in the Arab war in Israel. Why should Israel be more responsible for the Palestinian Arabs than their Arab brethren? My point is simply that anti-Zionism has always been anti-Semitism. What the left of the West has sided with has always looked like this. This time they just succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. When Iran, as it repeatedly does, says that it wants to annihilate Israel, trust that they believe what they are saying, it might be hard to comprehend for the Western poseurs that some people actually live their truth and that it's not just rhetoric that fits cosily into your fantasies of revolutionary romanticism or some misplaced notion of Rousseau's idea about noble savages. If you, as Margot Wallström, Jeremy Corbyn and a myriad of other European leaders and intellectuals can't tell the difference between civilization and utter barbarism, then you should file for moral bankruptcy, as you should have done a long time ago. If you, like the Swedish left, victim-blame Israel for this attack and call for a, quote, free and democratic Palestine from the river to the sea, then you are living in a fantasy world, so far from reality that you might as well be in a parallel universe that is the opposite of our own. There are no free and democratic Arab countries. They do not exist. That has always been the case. If you're too intellectually lazy, too cowardly, or a combination of the two to condemn this attack unequivocally, then you are, if not evil yourself, at least evil's useful idiot. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus has been a guest of the podcast before. At that point, he had just retired. Now he's reinstated in the IDF, and we will get a chance to discuss what has happened and where the situation stands now. The time of recording is 01.30 Swedish time on October 11th, 2023, and tensions are brewing on the border of Israel and Lebanon and Israel's border with Syria. With those words, I present IDF spokesperson, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus. 
Hello, Jonathan. How are you doing? Are we doing this in Swedish or are we doing it in English? I prefer English. Okay, then we will be doing it in English because I prepared all the questions in English. I remember our last bout. Great. Yes, you are uh, uh, reinstated as lieutenant colonel in the Israeli army as a spokesperson. Yep. I wish I could talk to you under better circumstances. My heart goes out to you truly, uh, Jonathan, and to all of Israel in this moment. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, these are uh, times that uh, we have never experienced. You know, uh, my colleague, he just came back from Kibbutz Kfar Aza. It's a small community just uh, along the border with uh, Gaza, full of very nice and gentle people who are, you know, peace lovers and people who believe in coexistence and have uh, had friends in Gaza that they made uh, years ago. And um, the, the, the kibbutz has been, uh, I don't know if you can still call it the kibbutz, because uh, all of the houses have been torched. Um, everything is burnt and looted in the kibbutz. There are bodies everywhere, uh, on the street, uh, outside of the houses, inside of the houses. There's blood. Uh, there are uh, mutilated bodies. And it's just uh, scenes that, you know, a general who was there, he said, uh, the only historical reference that I have of this is uh, pogroms and things that happened during the Holocaust. And never ever would I, could I imagine that this would happen in Israel uh, when we are independent and have a military. So it's, uh, it is, um, yes, the circumstances are something that we've never ever uh, encountered before. So I totally understand what you're saying about uh, uh, wishing us well. Can you, in your own words, uh, tell my listeners what has happened? from your perspective and what do you have gathered? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell the listeners, maybe if they haven't followed news over the last few days and give them like a short recap of uh, how we got to where we are. So we're almost four days. Today is the 11th and we're almost four days of fighting. Started early morning hours, six, around 6, 6.30 in the morning on Saturday, Shabbat which was also a Jewish holiday, Simchat Torah, uh, which is a, is, a, is a very joyous holiday. It's the holiday where Jews celebrate that the Torah was given to them, and it's really a, a, a beautiful and, and very joyous occasion. So uh, early morning hours, Hamas launched a surprise attack against uh, Israel, against the military and communities along the Gaza front. In hindsight, we understand that this was an attack that they planned for a very long time in great detail and were able to conceal the fact that there were hundreds of terrorists that crossed in the first wave. They combined weapons, they used drones uh, to take uh, to, to to fire or drop explosives on all of our observation cameras to incapacitate the observation towers so that our soldiers wouldn't see. And then they uh, fired simultaneously at various positions, fired rockets and mortars at all of the IDF positions. And uh, using that, they then uh, assaulted towards the fence. 
there's a what we thought until that time a robust security fence around the Gaza Strip uh, between us and them, but they launched toward that towards that fence. The first place that they crossed was actually the humanitarian border crossing at the northern part of the Gaza Strip. It's called the Erez border crossing because it's close to a kibbutz called Erez. That's the same crossing, uh, by the way, where Palestinian workers cross, used to cross every day as they went to work in Israel and provided uh, money and uh, sustenance to hundreds of thousands of Palestinians in Gaza, earning very good salaries in Israel. Uh, 20,000 of them used to cross every day into Israel because Israel wanted to alleviate the economic situation in Gaza. So the Erez crossing, that is where they crossed. And if you've seen videos of those uh, white Toyota pickups that uh, they used, uh, very ISIS-inspired, and this ISIS theme is something that I think we will return and speak about because it uh, it's really goes through everything that happened, the atrocities, the, the, the barbarity, the monstrosity of how they operated and how happy they uh, were seen executing Israeli civilians and butchering people and abducting them, I can only compare it to ISIS. So the, these white trucks, they penetrated first uh, from the Erez crossing and then fanned out into the entire region, drove fast towards the largest city in the area, which is called Zderot, a city that has endured Lots and lots of hardship over the years in the form of rockets, but never before have there been Hamas terrorists on the street of uh, that community. Total surprise for Israeli civilians. And then uh, as Hamas was able to move uh, across the first line of defense and uh, got to Israeli communities, the carnage started. They went uh, and assaulted each and every of the uh, Israeli communities close to the border, some of them kilometers away, but they obviously started with the closest ones. And their mission was very simple. They were on the hunt for Israeli civilians. Parallel to that, Hamas fired rockets at Tel Aviv and uh, basically all of populated Israel south of Tel Aviv. That was the diversion. And they also fired rockets at the Israeli communities close to the border. Uh, because probably they wanted all the Israelis to be inside their security shelters. Then the next stage was the most uh, crucial one. Uh, armed terrorists made their ways into the communities and started going uh, house to house, breaching in and simply executing Israeli civilians. In uh, the few locations where they couldn't get in because the Israelis, uh, Israeli civilians barricaded themselves inside, they usually torched the houses and waited for the house to burn and the Israelis to try to escape and then massacred uh, the Israelis as they went out. Uh, again, to emphasize, I am talking about civilians, women, children, babies, elderly, disabled people, 80-year-old Holocaust survivors and uh, infants that were only a few months old. That's the span of... Uh, the people who were massacred by Hamas. So that's the story of what happened in many, many communities, county communities, Kibbutz Kfar Aza, Kibbutz Be'eri, 
Holit, Sufa, many other communities along the border. This is basically the story of what happened. And the uh, in some locations, they also uh, barricaded themselves in. When the IDF arrived, they held hostages and there were uh, attempts to free them, which uh, were usually bloody and led to more casualties and uh, casualties for the IDF and the police as well. Parallel to that, Hamas really struck gold, so to say, from a terrorist perspective and uh, stumbled upon or planned in advance, we still don't know, a music festival where more than a thousand young Israelis were having an outdoor music festival or a rave party close to a place, a kibbutz called Reim. Reim, uh, ironically, means brothers or friends. Uh, the name of that kibbutz in that area. And um, they simply assaulted that area. People were totally in disarray, had nowhere to hide, nowhere to go to, and were summonly butchered by uh, these uh, Hamas monsters that came across. There's lots of videos of it, you know, from uh, security cameras, from vehicles, where you see executions. Uh, and then there's videos of uh, many of those beautiful young Israelis being taken off into Gaza, uh, women, girls, uh, and young men that, that were being led by dozens of uh, Hamas, Hamas terrorists, uh, taken on motorcycles, on club cars, on... Uh, other vehicles and uh, dragged into Gaza. Many Israeli soldiers were killed as well, fighting, um, and it took a long, long time before Israeli troops could get to the area and start fighting back and starting the long, long process which took us, which took us days to clear the area of terrorists and to rescue the few survivors that were left. To give you an example of the magnitude of the event, Kibbutz Be'eri used to be the home of uh, about 1,000 Israelis. There were more than 100 Israelis killed in that kibbutz. So a tenth of the population was murdered. Many were wounded. Many have been abducted and taken hostage. In, and they are now in Gaza. Uh, and the ones who were members of the community and are in neither of those previous categories were simply not in the community, and that's uh, how they were saved. Some Israelis were able to fight off the uh, oncoming terrorists uh, with weapons that they had and with lots of uh, ingenuity and resourcefulness. They hid children in cupboards and went out to fight and defend the house, uh, diverting incoming uh, uh, attackers. Um, and there's many beautiful stories of uh, really tragic heroes, mothers and fathers and grandmothers and fathers of, who protected children. And there are many heartbreaking stories of uh, entire families that were wiped out. I've seen pictures of a beautiful Israeli family of uh, five, a mother, a father and three, three children uh, who were massacred in their house. Uh, children at the age of, uh, I think they were two, four, and six years old, if I'm not mistaken. So um, this is how Israel uh, woke up on uh, Saturday, the 7th of October, uh, the worst day in uh, Israeli history. Uh, 
Never before have so many Israelis been killed in one day. The numbers uh, so far are 900, more than 900 Israelis that were killed, civilians and military. The overwhelming majority were civilians and more than 2,500 wounded. Uh, I expect these numbers to rise as we continue to search in the villages and kibbutzim and we find bodies and identify them and add them to the count. Uh, but that is the number. Never before in our history have so many Israelis been killed, not by natural reasons, never by the enemy, not even the Syrian military or the Egyptian military in 1948 or the Jordanians in 67. Nobody inflicted that kind of carnage in Israel, and Hamas did. And uh, since then, we have been fighting. The first mission has been to clear southern Israel of uh, terrorists that had infiltrated into our communities and were hiding between the communities and waiting for an opportunity to kill civilians. That mission alone took us more than 48 hours. And there's still fighting going on in southern Israel. So there are still terrorists on the loose. There uh, probably are no terrorists in Israel, but there are still uh, terrorists that uh, pop up, probably using gliders with uh, motors. I think Americans call them Buckeyes. I wasn't aware of the thing before that it had a name, but it's basically a parachute with an engine. Sounds like a lawnmower. And uh, that's how many of these terrorists got in. That was a surprise, like many other things. And there, yes, there are still active combat in uh, the areas in southern Israel. And um, uh, we have uh, since then uh, plugged the fence and mended the many areas where they were able to breach. Maybe you've seen pictures of a tractor and uh, heavy machinery breaching open our fence. And there were many cases where they used uh, wire cutters and disc cutters and other tools. Uh, they came very prepared, unfortunately. And uh, this is what we've been dealing with. Uh, we have dozens of Israelis held hostage. Dozens or hundreds? Because I read reports of uh, up towards 150 people. Yeah, there are uh, lots of numbers out there, and uh, at this stage I cannot uh, confirm a final number, but it's uh, high dozens. It's not uh, 10 or 20. It's uh, high dozens of, uh, of uh, hostages that are there, uh, most of them civilian, a few of them military. Most of them crossed into Gaza alive. We don't know their situation now. Uh, some we know that were uh, probably dead as they were dragged in there. Uh, maybe those were military, dead soldiers and officers, uh, many of whom we are consider missing now, still unclear. And uh, that is the extremely complex situation that we find ourselves in. There are dual nationals. Uh, many of these Israelis are also, there's Americans, Brits, French, Australians, Canadians, Brazilians, Ukrainians, and from many other countries, Argentinians, uh, many other countries. So this isn't a, an issue that uh, touches Israel only, but this is really an international crisis and uh, an atrocity uh, against the entire 
community in the entire free world. And um, what's happened since, and I'll speed things up a bit, is that uh, we uh, have started to strike Hamas. I'll say a word about rockets before that. Uh, Hamas has fired almost 5,000 rockets at Israel since uh, early Saturday morning, which is a very high number uh, in comparison to other conflicts before. The Iron Dome has been very effective and has saved, again, countless lives. The overwhelming of the majority of our dead and wounded are from executions by uh, Hamas terrorists uh, from close range. Since then, what we have done is mobilize reserves. We now have about 300,000 reserve soldiers uh, in the south from infantry, artillery, armor, combat intelligence and combat engineers units that are prepared, preparing for their tasks and um, and uh, preparing for their tasks and uh, getting ready to implement the mission that we've been given by the Israeli government, which is to strip Hamas of all of its military capabilities and make sure that uh, it will never ever have the ability to uh, threaten or kill Israeli civilians again. Wouldn't That's that, the military uh, objective. Wouldn't that entail a reoccupation of the Gaza Strip? It might. It might. And uh, we are preparing ourselves for all options. As I said, we've uh, uh, called up or summoned reserves from ground units, and uh, usually ground units operate on the ground. Uh, so we are preparing for all of the eventualities. Uh, and um, what's happening now in Gaza is that uh, we're striking Gaza from the air uh, heavily and uh, delivering significant blows to Hamas, its infrastructure. We are hunting their commanders based on every piece of intelligence we have, trying to strike and kill as many of their senior leaders as possible. And uh, we are delivering lots and lots of bombs on Gaza in trying to strike their military infrastructure. That is uh, uh, what we're doing, and we have been doing that for the last uh, uh, the last day or so, uh, of course, led by the Air Force. There are other fronts active. Uh, the Lebanese front is active. The Syrian front is active for the first time. Hezbollah, I wouldn't say that Hezbollah has really engaged and gone all in as of Wednesday at 3 a.m. Israeli time. Uh, you never know what can happen in a few minutes, but as of uh, the time of recording, Hezbollah has not gone all in. And uh, it has. there have been attacks, anti-tank missiles fired, uh, attempts to infiltrate by other terrorists, uh, and we have responded. Some clashes, and essentially the situation there now is a tense quiet. Uh, for the first time in this round, rockets were fired from Syria. We don't know if it was Syrian troops, Syrian armed forces, or one of the many Iranian militias that are uh, welcomed in Syria, or if it was Hezbollah. Uh, it could be any of the above, or perhaps someone else. We retaliated fire, and uh, so far the situation there is uh, stable and uh, a tense quiet prevails. Uh, we have mobilized reserves for the northern front as well. 
in order to add strength and uh, capabilities so that we are not uh, surprised again. And uh, we are preparing ourselves for the main task, which is the, the missions in Gaza. So that's where we stand, three open fronts, lots of military activity, perhaps, I would say, the worst starting point ever in Israeli history for the IDF to uh, continue a war, a war that we didn't want or decide. It was forced upon us, um, an attack that is unprecedented. And uh, I think that our response is going to be unprecedented in scope and severity against Hamas for what they've done. As it should be. But um, can I ask, uh, how did this happen? Because you must be, I mean, uh, as a Jew from Europe, uh, you sort of uh, rely on the infallibility of the IDF and the Shabak and the Mossad. And uh, how... uh, Uh, do you feel about this? Honestly, I'll tell you something that I haven't said in the media so far, and only because it's you. There are so many emotions. I am furious. I am uh, extremely sad. I am appalled by these uh, attacks, but I'm also ashamed. Uh, I am very, very sad of how, how things unfolded and how the IDF failed its citizens. And um, as you said, Uh, The IDF has, over time, paid in blood and sweat and tears, established a certain certain, uh, aura of uh, strength and uh, professionalism and deterrence and capacity to understand what our enemies are doing, prepare and uh, take initiative and be strong and resourceful, etc. What happened in... uh, Uh, around Gaza on uh, the uh, 7th of October is of strategic magnitude. And the repercussions of this attack will will affect Israel for a long, long time, Israel and uh, the surroundings. There are very, very difficult questions that are being asked. The IDF, the Shabak, police, some extent Mossad, the government, the Ministry of Defense, the Prime Minister. Um, these, are, these are very difficult questions. Um, they will have to be answered after a long, hard, thorough process of soul-searching and what we call in military language, after-action review. And uh, at the end of it, hopefully, the IDF will give answers to the Israeli public and say uh, what went wrong, how it went wrong, and most importantly, how it won't happen again. It's on everybody's minds, but it's not the focus of what we're doing now. Uh, Israelis are totally right and entitled to get answers, uh, but the answers won't be given now. They will be given when the last bullet is fired and when the last Hamas terrorist is either killed or surrendered, and we will have completed our mission of... uh, stripping Hamas from its military capabilities. I understand. Uh, is the West Bank calm now, or is there another intifada brewing there as well? I don't think uh, Judea and Samaria is ever calm. I don't, I've, I've never remembered it to be a calm situation. It is uh, volatile. There have been uh, events this night as well. There have been attempts to, uh, of terrorists in uh, Jenin, 
to uh, strike Israeli civilian and military targets in the surroundings. Um, there have been many, many calls by Hamas, uh, really an intense media effort to uh, call on their so-called brothers in uh, Judea and Samaria to uh, take to the streets, to assault Israeli communities, to butcher Israelis wherever they can find them, etc., etc. So far, that has not materialized. We have uh, preempted many of those events with a strong presence on the ground. But we're also very much aware of the fact that this is a dynamic situation and it can change. So uh, we'll see. Uh, currently, it is stable. Uh, but uh, if you ask me what I'm more concerned about, which area, then yes, I am concerned about Judea and Samaria because there are so many Israeli communities there and they would be very difficult to defend. And I'm also very concerned about Hezbollah in the north. Uh, there are communities along the border and Hezbollah is by far the most powerful Iranian proxy uh, that exists. It has uh, almost state-like capabilities in terms of military, and they have an arsenal that is uh, far larger than uh, the one that Hamas possessed, and they have more fighters and uh, ability to fight. So uh, that's the concern, and what we're focusing on now is uh, making sure that Hezbollah doesn't feel this to be a good opportunity to, uh, uh, to join the fighting. I have a few minutes left, Aaron, and then I have to move on. Um, I understand, and I have so many questions. Um, I get reports that Iran was directly involved in this atrocity, and I've seen videos where Hamas militants in balaclavas uh, are speaking what appears to be Farsi. Have you seen anything to this effect? Yeah, I'll just say before I uh, unfortunately have to leave you, I would like to stay further and, and, and talk. Uh, and I appreciate the uh, audience that you that that you give me here, but I would say that I don't have we don't have confirmation of uh, you know mission command here, Iranian mission command, but we do have. Uh, I mean, it's clear for everyone that neither Hamas nor the Islamic Jihad would be able to do anything of what they did had it not been for Iranian money, weapons, and training and supplies and guidance that they've received. So less relevant if Iran controlled the operation or not, because the blood is on Iranian hands anyhow. I really hope that, you know, this, uh, when people hear this, they understand that um, Israel didn't want this war. We didn't start it. And um, once the pictures coming out of Gaza will start to become very difficult, and the usual criticism will be leveled at Israel. Remember how this started. It started with atrocities against Israel, with our civilians butchered and taken captive. And what we are doing is only defending ourselves. And I hope that people will remember that as they are bombarded with media images of uh, difficulties in Israel. Aaron, I have to leave. Thank you very much. And I wish you all the best. Thank you for participating. Lehitrot and Am Yisrael Chai. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Deconstructive Criticism. This episode hosted IDF spokesperson Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus. I didn't have time for all my questions, but I'm grateful for the time I got and I hope to speak with Jonathan again. 
follow IDF on Instagram for more information in real time. And as Lieutenant Colonel Konrikus just said, when the pictures released by Hamas of their dead now start spreading in Western media, that this blood is also their doing. It is what they wanted all along. They gladly sacrificed their own children to kill ours. If you want to help support the IDF, you will find a link to Friends of IDF where you can make donations on my webpage aaronflam.com in the description of this episode. I am Aaron Flam. Until next, have a good unit of time. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.